Greetings! Welcome to Haber Bros, a podcast for historic cross-centered Christians. We seek to provide ancient answers to a culture that's forgotten the questions. Thank you for listening this week. If you like what you're hearing or enjoy the show, please share it with a friend. This is the biggest way that podcasts grow. Say positive things about us on Twitter and Facebook. If you haven't yet given us a five-star review, stop what you're doing and do so. It helps in the inscrutable algorithms that lurk behind Apple Podcasts and Google Podcasts and other podcasting platforms. Follow us on Twitter at at clergylay and join our Facebook discussion group. I'm Kirk Haberman, a church musician, and this is my brother Chris, a priest. But more importantly, we are so thrilled to be graced with the presence of one of my favorite old friends, a man whom I have not seen in far too long, the Reverend Joe Gasberry. Joe is a parish priest at Grace Church, Savannah, Georgia, one of the oldest churches in America, and he can tell us about that in just a moment. Um, Joe has served as the parish catechist there since 2016, Joe. Um, Joe is married to a lovely woman, Alyssa Gasberry, and they have two handsome and smart sons, Joey and Charlie. Uh, Joe, whereas I merely pose as uh, someone who's comic book adjacent, Joe is in the deep end of the pool and he will help us make sense of the Snyder Cut later on. Um, Joe is a coffee aficionado. Um, He helps correct my crude palate. Joe is an Italian stallion of the highest variety. Um, I have had many a great pizza night with Joe. Um, Joe is a sadly, well, not sadly this year, Joe. Joe is a Buffalo Bills fan and um, unabashedly a fan of all things Buffalo. And he can tell you about how the Buffalo Renaissance is just around the corner. Uh, Joe went to Malone University where he studied uh, Bible. Um, he has postgraduate degrees from Geneva College and Trinity School for Ministry. But more importantly, one day in, I don't want to make up a date, Joe, in 2009, 2010, you were in a coffee shop, oddly with a book of common prayer in Beaver Falls, like the Ethiopian eunuch, actually unlike that, being neither Ethiopian nor a eunuch, <laughs> but you had a text that was puzzling you. <laughs> um, you were wondering, what is this thing? And um, you met uh, an, another, who, another Anglican? And from there, um, I think that was Mike McGee. From there, I met you through Mike, and I'm happy to say I now have a decade-long friendship with you. Joe Gasberry, welcome to Haber Bros. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Kirk. Thanks, Christopher. What an introduction. <laughs> that was a, a wild introduction. Thank you so much. Um, I mean, deeply... accusing you of being a eunuch. I, to, be, to be fair, I, I, quickly, <laughs> I quickly withdrew the accusation. Thank you. I appreciate, I appreciate that. 
for for all sakes involved um yeah uh by the way it is at Christchurch. um i think that's okay you, everything else was quite lovely um <laughs> christ church and and yeah it, it is the uh, first church in the uh state of georgia 1733 with charles uh um uh, john wesley and george whitfield as former rectors here um but uh that's but remarkable. Yeah. yeah that's remarkable uh joe I, I have a question for you is it true that from june 1st until September 1st <laughs> that all Georgians wear seersucker and sip sweet tea on front porches and, and speak slowly about um, the, the times past. It's I thought it was much all tulips. year long. Oh, all, all year long. Okay. All year long. Oh, so I, so wait, I have wait, an wait. accurate, I have an accurate uh, idea of what life in Georgia is. Well, I okay. discovered something interesting about Georgians is, is uh, I was at a wedding recently and this, this guy is not just Georgian, but there's a difference between a Georgian and maybe a, a Savannian. So being someone from Savannah is very unique versus being from Atlanta or, or other sure. parts of, sure. there's different parts of Georgia. Or, for, that, or that, from the Caucasus. Know. Oh, dang it. <laughs> yeah. uh, uh, so anyways, so. The Republic um, of Georgia. <laughs> oh. So in Savannah, this very, uh, I mean, he's got the perfect Savannah accent, which is like Annie Bernard from The Office kind of an accent, <laughs> um, which uh, he, 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 uh, he told me that at a wedding, if it's after 6 p.m., it's expected to wear a tuxedo. Oh, I like so it. So if, if you go to, so if you go to a reception after, if it's after six, it's expected that you would come changed in a tuxedo. Um, I don't think anybody does that except people <laughs> with a lot of money. Um, but anyways, yeah. So, so Joe, you're a parish catechist. Tell us a little mm -hmm. bit about what that means. Yeah. So uh, catechesis basically means Christian teaching. Um, and so my role as, as a catechist is to emphasize the essentials of the Christian faith, um, particularly on an intergenerational level. So I work with children and youth and adults, working together to pass on the faith historic uh, to each other to build sustainable faith. Um, and a lot of that means practically working with people who are newcomers, uh, developing healthy membership, um, and uh, yeah, focusing on teaching. And so we, we go through aspects of the catechism, which is a, a book that c carries these teachings of the church, uh, the Lord's Prayer, the Ten Commandments, the, uh, the sacraments, the, the creeds, um, and, and other, as the, what does the baptismal liturgy say? And other things a Christian ought to know for the welfare of their soul, you know? Um, and, and so that's a big role that I do. I, I do a lot of preparation for baptisms. Um, one thing I'm very excited about, and just to, I tell my, tell my leaders here that to be excited about is for the last five years, every feast day we've had, we've always had a baptism on that feast day, mm. whether it be <sighs> adult or a child. Um, and it's just, I try to remind people that doesn't happen in a lot of churches ever. <laughs> so, and I've been privileged to be a part of that process of discipleship. Um, and, uh, yeah, so that's a big part of what I do. So Joe, I wish the, uh, the listener could see, um, but they can't, um, you, I always knew, knew you as a, um, you, you had a lovely, um, lovely curly mop of luscious, gorgeous curls, but you have since added to that, um, since you've moved to Georgia, um, this, this, this lion's mane of, of a gorgeous brown beard. 
<laughs> so this has been your grand COVID experiment? Yes, sir. Yes, yes, it is. Um, which I didn't think it would go that great. Um, and Alyssa, my wife, actually likes it. Joey does not like it. <laughs> uh, my oldest, he does not like it. Charlie, he's, he's all right with it. Um, but anyways, yeah, it's a new thing and I'm enjoying it. Uh, my uh, Alyssa says it makes me look distinguished somewhat, um, even though it's kind of, you know, needs a little bit trim. Did you say that? Did you say distinguished somewhat? You said somewhat, <laughs> somewhat. Not all the way. Not all Shouldn't the way. Throw that in there, huh? <laughs> it was kind of, that was kind of southerner for. I'm surprised that a northerner fits in the south so well. That's what I'm surprised at. Uh, there was a colleague that said to me um, that, oh, I don't think you'd do well in the south. I says, why? Well, it's because you're a northern you're a northern guy. I mean, you're a northerner. Um, and moving here uh, in Savannah, it's been surprisingly a well-fit place for, for me. Um, and I, I think I, it surprised me. So, yeah. Question. Have you found yourself, since you've moved down there, saying to someone, bless your heart? No. I do it. I Sometimes I do it um, ex- in explicit ways. Not in like um, an everyday conversation, but almost like a I, I do it on purpose. Okay, ironic. You do point. it ironically. I do ironically. Thank yeah. you. But I will say, y'all is very catchy. Okay. Better than yin's, by the way. Um, <laughs> Probably. I, 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 guess, caught on. I guess what I'm saying is, I I see. Uh, I don't see bless your heart as being all that passive. I see it as just being aggressive, just like <laughs> like condescending. Bless your heart, as it as uh, very uh, yeah, like in a fa- in. I think it's supposed to be an inoffensive way of saying something offensive, right? Correct. Yeah. Correct. Okay. It's, well, it's well, passive aggressive, but it's aggressive. Okay. Yeah. So yeah. it's, it is only ever derisive, right? And you're never actually um, blessing someone when you say bless your heart. I, I, I have seen where it's not been that way, where it's meant to be like, um, almost like calling out someone who did something that was not a mistake, but you, you're also kind of like, uh, I put this it, like being gentle about it. It, it, it in some ways it's aggressive in other ways it's trying to like say he's got so many good qualities but he did this it's mm. almost like that um it's kind of giving some sweetness to your criticism of someone because they do not like confrontation here um and and i and i think that when i started to confront do do that it was both met with kind of not hostility, but some cases hostility, some cases relief because someone so, finally said something. <laughs> so you, you might say, so what I hear you saying is you'd say it to someone who's not present, bless his heart. He tried Correct. his best, bless his heart, but yeah. Correct. Okay. So, so like that, that, I wonder if they inherit that from the British because like there's this whole um, bucket of phrases in, Brit- in Britain, um, like um, with greatest respect means I think you're an idiot, right? Mm. <laughs> Whereas we in America, we think, oh, he's listening to me. Or like, we're not sure. It can go either way, right? Um, uh, when, a Brit, when a Brit says, I'll bear it in mind, it means like, I've forgotten it already. <laughs> or you, yeah. must come, you must come for dinner means like, uh, I'll probably never see you again. <laughs> or that's very interesting means you're profoundly boring, right? <laughs> like, I'm wondering if it comes, if, it, if it's from that strain of um, intimating to someone that um you're probably done with this interaction <laughs> without i think you're right saying it i think you're right actually <laughs> Be- uh, and i think you're right because uh, i've been told um people love history here so i've been told that so, um 
when when Savannah was first established as a colony and you have um, the British here and, and you have this kind of beginnings of a colony that the, the classic Savannah accent um, was connected to, this is what British people actually sounded like. Um, and so it's interesting in terms of how the accent was developed and where it's come from. I think there's some connection to um, to those who were developing the colony here. Anyways. Uh, interesting. Um, it is, uh, as, as I'm looking at you, Joe, um, I just have to say it is so good to see you and so good to talk to you. And I'm sorry that it took um, this long to, to invite you. Um, but I'm sure that um, those, uh, after, those three days after the resurrection, it felt like forever until um, the disciples saw the risen Lord. Mm, tis. Shall we look at the gospel, gentlemen? Thank you, Kirk. <laughs> Today's gospel reading comes from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 24, verses 36 through 49. As they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. And he said to them, Why are you troubled and why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, have you anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish and he took it and ate it before them. And he said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to Thanks God. Thanks be to God. Joe, do you have some thoughts on this gospel? Yeah, I, um, I was really excited that this was the gospel reading and that you called me at this time because I'm also preaching this Sunday. Yeah. Um, and, uh, yeah and I'm preaching on this, uh, this text. Um, I think the first thing that oh, that stands to me is just the how much the physical matters here, right? The physicality of Jesus. Uh, he's not a ghost. He's not some spirit, um, but he's truly flesh um, and bones that he actually has organs working as he eats the fish. Um, and, and the line that just, as I've been reading it this week, 
has hit me is, is, is just the disciples in verse um, 41. And while they, the disciples, still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, have you anything here to eat? So this the sense of, I, I don't really believe it, but I'm joyful. And I'm like, it's almost like being really excited about something. And you're like, pinch me, is this real? Um, mm. I kind of had that feeling when it comes to the disciples is, is you know, these things that we're talking about were the things that happened on the road to Emmaus. Um, and then Jesus appears and kind of does a repeat with the disciples in some ways. Um, but he comes in the flesh and the disciples have this disbelief, but marvel in them um, as if like, am, am I dreaming? Um, is this a dream? Um, and it reminds me of um, in the Lord of the Rings, I think it was, where um, I think it's Gandalf and Frodo they're wondering if um, after all these things have taken place that if there's if they're dreaming or what's going on and are all sad things coming untrue I think was the question yes you know great line and yeah and I, I love it I, I think of it every time I I look at the resurrection but also at Christ's return um, but that kind of is this real um, is this really true um, and, and here Jesus is giving them and showing them that that he in fact is physically with them and present um, and, and the, the, the next part of course is, um, I'd say a catechist dream because he opens the <laughs> scriptures to them. Um, and, and basically says the Bible's all about me. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I think about, uh, cause I've come from a different background where I was not raised in a Christian home. I first came to faith in a Pentecostal setting. I worked for churches in kind of non-denom and some Baptist roots and other Pentecostal denominations. And, and the Bible kind of seemed to be more of a moralistic tool, um, a kind of like um, you can be your own David to conquer your Goliaths. Um, and so to hear Jesus kind of put into a different perspective about the scriptures, that when you read the law, the prophets, the Psalms, which uh, basically is, is a summary of the whole Old Testament, actually, it's what he's saying, um, right? I mean, the law being the first five books of the Bible, the Torah, um, the prophets, the latter, and then the major, and then the Psalms, not just the 150 Psalms, but what's called the Ketuvim, which is the writings. Um, um, and that includes both poetry and wisdom. And so he's trying to say, well, well, let's, I mean, look at the scriptures for what they are. And did you not see that it's really about me and my death and resurrection? Um, and, and so, and, and then he points to that bigger picture of, of the outcome of that, where the repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations. Um, that reminds me of Genesis 12 with Abraham and the calling that this blessing of the nations will come. Um, and so we see Jesus being that fulfillment in all the scriptures. Yeah. Those are some of my initial, initial thoughts. Joe, are you familiar with the Jesus Storybook Bible? Yes, uh, we've used it here with our children, uh, both my children personally, and also the children at Christ Church. And you, it's, a, it's a great resource because it, it basically captures that sense of Jesus being the main figure throughout all of the scriptures. Yeah, um, I think the subtitle is something like every story whispers his name or something like that. Yeah. Uh, which, is, which is this this. Lucan sent this Lucan message both at the road to Emmaus and then here that that to properly fully truly understand um, the the law and the prophets you can only understand them once you realize that they are they're prophesying um, Christ 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. So and there's a oh sorry I was no, no, go, say, go, there's a it's a decoder ring. <laughs> yeah, a decoder ring. Yeah, <laughs> you just got to line it up right. Um, the the, the uh, there's also a YouTube video of Tim Keller giving a talk on the Bible's not about you. Um, and he has some, um, essentially like Jesus is the true and better Isaac. Yeah. Jesus is the true and better, um, uh, Adam, the true and better Jonah, uh, and, and basically points to the faith once the gospel essentially. So, so it, it's, it's both Christ, but also the, the, the message itself, the gospel message itself, right. that, that Christ came to atone for our sins, right. that, that his righteousness is imputed to us. Um, you know, we're not David in the story. We're the Israelites. Uh, we're the fearful Israelites in need uh, of um, the great surprise of the weakling David to conquer um, and overcome what we cannot overcome. This just um, occurred to me just now. Um, I wonder if if this uh, hermeneutic of the Old Testament, this way of reading the Old Testament, this Christ-centered, Christ-diffused way of reading it, um, protects uh, can protect the reader, the believer, from Marcionism, right? Mm -hmm. The idea that the Old Testament... It, it, the New Testament is something different, something more gracious, something more loving, and that God just kind of grinded the gearbox and changed directions because he realized he had been. Ah, this isn't working. Let's we need <laughs> right. we need something different. We need to send Jesus. Yeah. No, this is always the plan. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, precisely right. Like the plan was always there. Um, yeah, and we see that in what they call the 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 proto gospel or the protoevangelion. Um, the um, mm -hmm. in Genesis three. Um, that, that, that the seed of the woman would crush uh, or crush the heel of the serpent, yeah. Yeah, or even uh, I remember um, I've done a lot of weddings recently and I like to go back to Adam and Eve and their relationship. And amidst the goodness of creation, God says what's not good is for man to be alone. Mm -hmm. um, and the word helper is used. Uh, there was not a helper fit for Adam. And the word helper in Hebrew uh, is actually connected to the Psalms where um, helper means rescuer, um, like divine help. And so there's a sense that Eve is a shadow of Christ who rescues us and helps us out of our isolation, out of what's not good for us. Um, and so even before the Genesis 3 promise, you have these shadows. I'm, I'm, of course, like the word spoken at creation was, was Jesus, right? I mean, he's from John chapter one, he's the word made flesh, the word at the creation. So, yeah, so he's, he's everywhere. Uh, it's, it's so interesting, Joe, that you, uh, you, you begin to talk about like the, the, incarn um, the, the fleshly and incarnational aspect of this, this text that like Jesus' human presence, his physical presence, his, his body, his hair, his wounds is, is, is really stressed here. That was literally the first thing I had written down <laughs> earlier in the week. Um, uh, and it's and it's funny. It's not funny. Uh, it's it, it's a marvelous thing to behold because now we have in his in his risen glorified body, um, um, divine and human nature knit together. Mm. Um, we have kind of a, a picture of of maybe what awaits us, right? Mm. Um, and we'll, and that that'll be finally complete at the ascension. So I, let's not get ahead of the story. We got like five weeks before we get risen, ascended, glorified, and that's kind of the the. the, the Kind of the true, uh, uh, a promise to us of what's to come, but a down payment on what's to come. Christopher, yeah. Yeah. you've been yeah. you've been making meaningful meaningful faces, mm. uh, but oddly silent. Let's hope I have something meaningful to say, boys. 
Uh, this is the third Sunday of Easter, and we've talked several times about how the church calendar and the seasons in the calendar, starting with Advent and moving on to Christmas, Epiphany, Lent, and now Easter. And we've talked about how even the prepositions that we use are significant, right? That Sundays during Advent are referred to as Sundays of Advent. Sundays during the 12 days of Christmas are Sundays after Christmas. Our new prayer book counts Sundays <laughs> during Epiphany as Sundays of Epiphany. And Sundays during Lent are called Sundays in Lent, right? Something different than of. Uh, it's because every Sunday is a mini resurrection day. Anyway, this is the third Sunday of Easter. Uh, and we remember that Easter is a 50-day um, season of feasting. That it's too, Easter is just too big to fit into a day or even a week. Christopher, like go, why is it 50? Is it random? Not random at all. <laughs> oh, why? I, I, well, we'll get to that. Okay, okay. We'll get to that. Sorry. I've got a monologue first. I, I like to Kirk to compare it to New York City. New York, New York, they say. A city so nice they named it twice. <laughs> Jesus and his defeat of sin and death has remade the world to such a degree that we celebrate for 50 days. Uh, although the first octave, we say, is, is the most uh, kind of significant. Uh, that the, the, the Sunday to Sunday, that, that first octave of Easter, is like the highest of uh, part of the feast. And uh, this, this uh, acknowledges that Jesus was around for 40 days following the, the resurrection, um, that he made these appearances. And on the 40th day, he ascended into heaven. And on the 50th day was Pentecost. Pentecost. Um, so, uh, Kirk and Joe, are you familiar with the 90s worship song, Lord, I Lift Your Name on High? Oh, yes. <laughs> familiar. I played it all, the, all day long at my house. <laughs> I don't think it's intentional that Lori lift her name on high ignores these 40 days that Jesus was on earth. I think it's probably has to do with the poetry of the song. Uh, but here is how the chorus goes. <clears throat> you ready? I'm, gonna, I'm just going to say it. Uh, oh, you, you came, you came from, from heaven to earth. <laughs> you came from heaven Sorry. to earth to show the way from the earth to the cross, my debt to pay. And then what happens from the cross to the grave, from the grave, to the, the skies. skies. Die, Lord, I lift your name on high. And so unintentionally, this kind of skips this whole mm. 40 days that Jesus was on earth. And and I don't think, I don't blame this song, but uh, there there is a certain kind of Gnosticism that um, low church evangelicalism uh, unconsciously, yeah, unconsciously embraces. And in fact, I have a friend, uh, Josh, who told me a story uh, that in a seminary class, and for those who don't know, in, in many low church evangelical settings, uh, you could be a pastor before you go to seminary. And so uh, my friend was in a class with a current pastor. I don't remember the domination. It's not important. But um, they were discussing that Jesus was bodily raised from the dead and had a body. And this pastor was like, hang on, whoa, whoa, like, let me think about this for a minute. Like, it, this guy was leading a, a body of believers and he hadn't thought before that Jesus um, was physically raised and walked the earth bodily. And so this mm -hmm. is important. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, John, uh, John, the evangelist, I'm sorry, uh, Joe, did you want to interject? Uh, I was, I was just going to say, you're absolutely, you're right, Christopher, uh, as a former, uh, you know, Pentecostal, um, it, it was so apparent, like I was struck by, wait a minute, he actually walked around 40 days. I had, I had no clue until I actually got into a liturgical church, actually, 
where it was he was walking around for 40 days. The other <laughs> thing, too, is I got into a similar discussion with a, a, um, a worship leader about this in a um, evangelical kind of charismatic church who was trying to convince me that when Jesus ascended, he left his body mm. and like he, he ascended like as a like spiritually ascended or mm. like his spirit went up. And, it's, and my question was, well, where's his body? Like, <laughs> yeah. Do we have his bones? Like, do we know? Like, and so this uh, notion of like, b- because the body is sinful it is mm. what she was kind of getting at. So like oh. body, material, evil, spirit, like that's what's good. And, and so anyway, so, but the, the, the other th- kicker, like from- the Saturn V rocket leaving behind its mm. boosters as it heads yeah, up into the heavens. Yeah. <laughs> Which is a Gnostic heresy of, of right. probably we'd, we'd say that's Nestorianism, the separation of nature. Yeah. Correct. That, like yes. he left his body behind because that's not good. But also there's, there's just a bit, a little bit of, um, uh, why do I always forget this one? The big one at, at uh, Arianism. Arianism. There's a bit of Arianism there that, like, of course, God, you know, couldn't have taken on flesh. Which, if we, flesh had, so if, bad. We, if we have yeah. time at the end, we can sing yeah. Joe's favorite Arian carol. Oh my gosh, you're right. I forgot about that. I wanted to make in seminary, I wanted to make it a musical. I had all these plans of making it a musical with, with Nicholas and everything. <laughs> Christopher, I'm so sorry. I just no, no, remember J- that. J- That's- J- Joe is Joe, Joe's in the middle of something. Go ahead, Joe. I'm sorry. So my, my final my final thing, and, and I'll I'll shut up. But the 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 final thing that always struck me too was Jesus did not only appear or he wasn't just seen by his disciples. There were 500 witnesses yeah. that saw that knew that he died. And that three days later, he's walking around. 500 people saw him. Um, I, 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 that's always kind of struck me too, in terms of like the importance of eyewitness. And I, I think you guys were discussing this in, in another podcast, but you know, in terms of firsthand reports, like women, mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, why would, if you wanted to be a legitimate resource back then, uh, a, a legitimate um, claim that someone was risen from the dead, you wouldn't have a woman be your first eyewitness unless it actually happened, right? Yeah. And so yeah. I, I think that um, we, we have both the kind of um, the significance of what's going on and the actual historicity of that this is actually happening in physical time. Yeah, and, and Joe says with confidence that he appeared to more than 500 because Paul tells us that yeah. in 1 Corinthians 15. And Paul additionally adds, he says, and you could go talk to them and like, like That's you right. could go ask them. Like they were there, they witnessed it with their own very own eyes. So he's, he's not just like, oh yeah, some people saw him. He's like, no, no, no. Like if you really doubt it, like go ask them. You know, not, not that anyone would, but like he's saying you could, they're still around. And it um, was important to Paul to, to, that he had seen the risen Christ as well. Indeed, right. yeah. In, yeah. in spite of his having not seen him during these 50 days, right? That's a yeah. crucial part of his testimony. Right. Like I actually yeah. saw him yeah. and crucial to him being an apostle. Like that's, right. that's yeah. part of his yes. calling too. Yep. Yeah. 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 So, um, so John, the evangelist uh, reminds us that Jesus did many things which are not contained in his gospel, but do you remember what he said last week, but these are so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ and that by believing you may have life in his name. And then he wrote a chapter uh, a chapter later, at the very end of chapter 21, uh, as he was closing up his gospel, I love this. He wrote, yes. now there are also many other things that Jesus did. Were every one of them to be written, I suppose that the world itself could not contain the book 
could not contain the books that could, would be written. I'm sorry to stumble over that, but 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 essentially, like Jesus did many things, which which uh, during these forty days that we don't have, like this appearance to five hundred people, we don't have a comprehensive account. Like gospels do not pretend to be those; they 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 are accounts, um, and we're told why they've in- included those things. So, uh, locating today's text in the book of Luke. Uh, we should point out, as as Joe did, that uh, this comes right on the heels of the road to Emmaus, that Cleopas and an unnamed disciple had encountered Jesus earlier that day as they were walking on the road to Emmaus just a few hours before. And Luke gives us this interpretive lens we we're talking about that that all every line of scripture breathes his name. Uh, and, and, and the verse that, that we have from, from Luke uh, earlier in this chapter is, and beginning with Moses and the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. And so he did this for these two disciples. And so uh, this reminds us, as Joe pointed out, is the Bible a series of moral lessons for children? No, it's, it's about Jesus. And so we get that again in today's passage. So this is such an important way for Jesus to instruct his disciples about what they have just witnessed. Like they're emotionally scattered. They're terrified. Uh, John depicts them as, as being behind locked doors for fear of the Jews, uh, for fear of the Jewish authorities. And they haven't made sense of what they have just witnessed and what they have heard. But Jesus appears to them. And then in verses verses 45 and 46, it says, then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And he said to him, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. And so there's some connective tissue earlier in this chapter on the road to Emmaus. If we could think back to that story, Jesus was revealed in the breaking of the bread and then he vanishes from their sight and they look at each other. Uh, and they run like they were going to stay the night in Emmaus, but instead they bolt back to uh, Jerusalem. And this this may have been some pe- people think that they go back to the upper room where they had been three nights before on the Last Supper. And other people theorize that this may be that the house of Mary, the mother of John Mark, or otherwise known as as the the uh, of Mark, the the gospel author. Anyway. Uh, after Jesus disappeared from their sight, and Kirk, we should talk about at some point John Calvin's explanation for that. <laughs> a, a year ago, when I listened to us talking about John um, uh, Jesus' appearance in the upper room uh, in in you know the Thomas passage, uh, you know John Calvin said, "Well, he climbed through a window because yeah. I admit I'm I admit I'm hung up on that." And yeah, yeah. Well, here I mean, here he disappeared from their sight, like yeah. he vanished. Uh, so that's an interesting thing. Um, I've, I've got to think the disciples were like. <laughs> Couldn't you have given us a ride? Like they run back to Jerusalem and Jesus appears to them. Um, anyway, at the same hour, they rose and returned to Jerusalem and they found the 11 and those who were gathered. And they said, the Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. And they told what happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. And it's interesting that we have so many different accounts. Like even in the morning, the women go and they come back and the men have to like go confirm. And it's like, it's like almost the reverse of what happens in a marriage when the guy goes to look for something and he's like, it's not there. Uh, you know, the tomb's empty. And they're like, well, did you look behind the, did you look everywhere? Right. I mean, mm-hmm. guys, this is, this is the thing that happens. There's like a reverse, like there's needs to be some confirmation and yet the people they're scared. And so the fear that they have, it could be that they think this is an evil spirit. Um, 
that in fact uh, may be deceiving them and is not Jesus. Like this fear we see is, is kind of mysterious, isn't it? That it says, and thought they saw a spirit, right? right. And even as he shows himself to them, uh, they were marveling. And it says they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling. So like they're, they're still just like not sure um, what, what exactly is going on. And uh, well, this is a point N.T. Wright makes often is that we as, we we have natural chronological snobbery, so we assume we're smarter than past people. Mm-hmm. Whereas past people believed all kinds of ridiculous things. We, of course, know that dead people don't, you know, come back alive. They knew that too. <laughs> they knew that right, too. Right, right. <laughs> so they behaved the same way that you and I would behave. If mm-hmm. our, like our really good friend appeared in the room three days later, <laughs> yeah, that's right. I mean, in the um, I'm studying the Gospel of Mark with our youth, and we just read the Transfiguration. Um, and after this event, uh, Jesus tells them strictly charges them not to tell anyone till after he was raised from the dead. Um, and then the Mark says the next thing it says uh, that the disciples pondered what he meant by that yeah <laughs> like like they didn't they had no clue like, like what like raised from the dead like what are you talking about you know um because I, I mean I, my, my understanding is that that the um that the jews at this time they they had this uh belief in the general resurrection but it was a, a sense of like the final thing the final resurrection right. but for one person to say i'm being i'm going to be raised from the dead that was like this is not working with what we, I mean, it's kind of like crazy talk. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I guess uh, just in terms of, of reconciling gospel accounts, I want to point out that uh, so as, as like Clopas and this other disciple are, are telling the other disciples about this resurrection appearance, it says that Jesus appears and he says, what does he say? He says, peace to you. And he shows them his hands. Well, what does this remind us of last week? John yes. chapter 20. Yes. Um, and so we see Luke emphasizing some details that John leaves out. And we see that John leaves out some details that, that Luke emphasizes. So Luke's account we have here, um, that he uh, emphasizes the necessity um, for the Christ to suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, which he had, he had taught them. They didn't understand. Now he's like, te- like after the fact, being like, do you remember when I talked about how I would, it was necessary? And it's interesting. So he doesn't say it's, it was necessary, but he talks about, uh, what does is, what is Luke say in, today's reading he says it's in 45 uh 46 thus it is written that the christ should suffer this is really close language to the language that that paul uses um and we find from luke's pen in in acts chapter 17 when um uh paul is in thessalonica and he says uh, this is these are first three three verses of acts 17 written by luke now when they had passed through and Oh, that's a hard one. And, and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica where there's a synagogue of the Jews. And Paul went in as was his custom. And on three day, Sabbath days, he reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and rise from the dead and saying, this Jesus whom I proclaim to you is the Christ. And so uh, he's, he's doing a, a number of things here um, that uh, are significant that we don't really have time to get into. But this is what we know about um the content of the gospel that was presented in those early days. I will close with this. Um, speaking of Paul, uh, who was just speaking uh, in, in that book of Acts, 
what's what we see here emphasized is just as Paul emphasized in first Corinthians 15, the importance of the physical resurrection. Yes. And at, uh, with this, I want to turn to uh, a poem by John Updike, Seven Stanzas at Easter. Uh, you, you guys may be familiar with this, but uh, just pushing back against sort of this modernist interpretation of, of Easter just being this kind of metaphor for renewal and spring and regrowth. Uh, and and there's a, there are certain uh, parts of Christianity that reject a physical re- resurrection. And those things... Uh, you know, Paul wrote in First Corinthians 15, if, if, if Christ was not raised, then we are still in our sins. And so here's just the first stanza. I'm not going to read the whole seven stanzas uh, by John Updike, but uh, here's the first stanza. Make no mistake, if he rose at all, it was as his body. If the cell's dissolution did not reverse, the molecule re-knit, the amino acids rekindle, the church will fall. Hmm. It's a poem worth uh, worth reading. It's it's wonderful um, from from an interesting source. You have mastered the art of the liturgical mic drop. <laughs> Boom! Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so we see here in this account uh, um, eyewitnesses to a God Man um, rising from death, um, and we just recently recently watched a film of a God Man rising from death. Gentlemen, it's time. You know oh, what time man. it is. You know what time it is. It's time to talk about Zack Snyder's Justice League. Joe Gasper, I'm so excited. Oh, Batman. Batman is silently watching us. Um, I'm so excited to have you here to talk about this. Um, you, uh, years ago, first put this on my radar when you excitedly showed me a video of um, the initial uh, Batman v Superman trailer that was uh, released to much hoopla at Comic-Con. And that was probably the last moment at which fans were optimistic. Mm. <laughs> um, True. We'll, we'll, get to, we'll get to that in a moment. Let's, let's, let's kind of lay, lay this out. Um, Zack Snyder's Justice League, often referred to as the Snyder Cut, and we can talk about that too, is the 2021 director's cut of the 2017 American superhero film Justice League um, from Warner Brothers. And I'd like to talk about Warner Brothers as well later. Um, It presents the Justice League, the fifth film of the DC Extended Universe, and based on the DC Comics superhero team of the same name as Zack Snyder had intended before he left the production tragically due to the suicide of his daughter in the middle of shooting um, Justice League. And we'll talk about- In the middle of shooting, in the middle of post-production, right? Post-production, yeah. 
Yeah, that's, I mean, the, otherwise, how would we have the Snyder Cut at all? You're right. right. Like the theatrical release, Zack Snyder's Justice League follows the Justice League, Batman, played by Ben Affleck, Superman, played by the Iron Jod, Henry Cavill, who this time doesn't look like he's just had dental work in the opening scene. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> right? Uh, Wonder Woman, played by the, the, the effervescent Gal Gadot, Cyborg, played by Ray Fisher, who actually gets to do stuff in this movie. <laughs> Aquaman, played by Jason Momoa. You know him from Game of Thrones. And Flash, played by um, the irascible Ezra Miller. Um, we could talk about him as well if we want to later. <laughs> as they attempt to save the world from Darkseid and Steppenwolf and their army of really creepy parademons. Mm -hmm. um, we have been excited to watch this for a long time because um, when Zack Snyder walked away from post-production, um, Warner Brothers had already panicked and was um, they had asked for a film that was under two hours. Um, Zack Snyder had been burned with Batman v Superman. His vision was frankly mangled almost beyond recognition in what went to the theater. And I have to say, seeing the, um, the director's cut on HBO Max last year was a revelation and really made me a true believer in kind of wanting to see the Snyder cut and um, re really um, uh, the, the, the quality of, of his vision and, and what, he, what he had pictured in the beginning. Um, and uh, and uh, I've, lost, I've lost my train of thought. Joe, <laughs> I've lost my train of thought. Um, We've had you on here to talk about this. Um, mm -hmm. Do you want to? Do you want to? Can we start at the beginning a little bit? Um, where did where did this come from? Why is Zack Snyder's vision um, so interesting and intriguing? Well, um, I, I think uh, again, it, it's it's because of the fan base. So it goes back to when I think of this new Snyder cut. I think that this was made very much for the Big Bang Theory Comic-Con people. Like, <laughs> these are the people that are, are really ingrained with these characters. Because when, when the Justice League movie came out, I, I, what I felt and what another, a lot of people felt as well was a kind of, why should I care about these characters? Um, mm. Here are these random people coming together with these metahuman abilities, but I, I don't know why I should care about them as characters. So the the the... the the marvel of the marvel universe was that they did a great job fusing together plot and um uh, character development so so they had a working plot and character development going side by side um the the um if i could just step back to batman versus superman because i the original cut i i did not like actually likewise um and the, and the reason is because it's based off of an amazing comic book series called The Dark Knight Returns, uh, where Bruce Wayne is a seasoned, retired Batman with a very established relationship to Superman. Um, we're talking like they have a deep friendship. Uh, and so when they fight, you can actually feel the heartache between in, in the fight. When you watch the movie, it's like they don't know each other. Like... <laughs> And it's they're just fighting because Lex Luthor kind of set something up. Well, um, there's some some kind of skepticism of like Earth should have a hedge against this powerful uh, god that has appeared on Earth. Yeah, interesting. Sure. Was that was that in Frank Miller's uh, vision um, that that Batman like doesn't like the concept at all of these unaccountable godlike creatures? Um, I think he he was so. 
I think it was a suspicion of um, be, because 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 Batman was going against the system a bit because the system um, wanted Batman to play by the rules of justice that he never does anyways. Right, right. Um, and, and so Superman was going along with it because his argument is it's your planet, you know. So he actually respects the rule of law for the for planet Earth, and so even with his ability to do crazy stuff and, and to take advantage of people, he, he doesn't because he actually respects human beings and, the, and, their, and their rule of law. Um, Batman kind of sees the dynamics and the grayness of human nature that it's not as clear cut as that. Um, and so in, in The Dark Knight Returns, he comes back in because things have gotten so worse and everything. So anyways, that's why Batman versus Superman is, is hard for me to to grapple with because they're trying to get elements of the dark knight return storyline into this new thing i mean they're just introducing batman as as uh as ben affleck right mm -hmm. um which i wasn't convinced but i will say the snyder cut mm -hmm. um showed me a batman that i wanted from ben affleck um he actually showed me something that i was surprised by um and it really was the batman that i was hoping for uh, from Ben Affleck. So, so that's how the Snyder cut surprised me. Um, in the justice league, you know, he kind of, um, the, in the, uh, the original cut of the justice league, the way they portray Batman is kind of a, Oh, he's licking his wounds and yeah. he's kind of like, uh, he's kind of like, doesn't know what's going on. He's not a true detective. Um, and that's the thing about oh, Batman yes, that's so unique right? is like his detective skills. Now, interesting enough, I, I'm sorry, I'm going on a tangent now, but really interesting, I'm really excited for is the new Batman movie with Robert Pattinson. Um, that is going to be based off of a comic series called Year Two. It's, it's, which basically means is his second year as Batman. Okay. Um, and it's going to highlight his life as a detective. Um, and it looks, the trailer looks incredible. Um, it it kind of has a bit of the movie Seven uh, about the Seven right. Deadly Sins, that kind of thematic uh, with the Riddler and the Penguin being involved. Catwoman will be in it. So is um, this acknowledging that they're that they're blowing up, like they're blowing up the uh, platform that they had built in the teens? So Henry Cavill's gone, uh, Ben Affleck's gone. None of it happened in, in Robert Pattinson's mm. universe. None of it happened. I, I are they trying to keep true. something coherent? I think they are trying to keep something because from what I've read is, is that um, Robert's actually a young Ben Affleck. Okay. okay. Um, that That's what I'm hearing, but it, it's still kind of unknown um, mainly because when you look at the trailer and people are analyzing things or kind of wondering like, where is this in the timeline kind of a thing? How connected is it? And I think there are elements to connect, but the thing about the DC universe to remember is that there are multiple um, earths, meaning there are multiple yeah. realities yep. going on. And so I think they're playing with that. Unfortunately, yeah. it, it's not being very successful. Yeah. Where I think the DC universe is becoming successful is when they have these individual movies right now. Like Wonder Woman, the first one, was really yeah. good. I thought Aquaman was pretty good. I was surprised by Aquaman. Yeah. Um, the sequel to Wonder Woman, I don't know. <laughs> I remember you guys were talking about it. Yeah. You were divided, I think. Yes, yes, um, we were. But but, well, but, I, but essentially I what, what the uh, DC Expanded Universe is missing is like a Kevin Feige who, who ran Marvel and had this grand yeah. vision that everything yeah. was yes. building uh, phase by phase. Well, they had um, the Kevin Feige. It was well, Zack Snyder. Snyder. 
it was Zack Snyder, but my understanding is the Warner like, Brothers the, panicked. Well, yes. the people that were working on kind of the other films had very little information on the characters. Like, was it Justice right. League where um, someone was like, we don't even know if, if uh, Aquaman can talk underwater. Um, like, it's, it's just, they didn't have the universe figured right, out. Right, um, right. That they were kind of doing all these separate things and the right hand wasn't talking to the left hand advice. Well, again, I mean, okay, so some of that might be on Snyder or the creative team, but also like, if you're an executive running an organization, it's, the, it's your job to examine your organizational structure. Like, they have org charts somewhere at Warner Brothers, right? <laughs> I mean, that's, that's your job to make sure the left hand knows what the right hand is doing. So, yeah, I mean, yeah. you could pin some of that on creative, but don't, I, I wouldn't pin that on, on the creative. Well, there's, there's just so many stories. This is kind of dating back to 1989 with Michael Keaton, Batman, which is a great. Yeah, you told me about this. Tell the story. <laughs> oh, my gosh. So Tim Burton obviously directed Batman 89 and Batman Returns. Um, McDonald's had a toy line with Batman Returns, but it's, but like parents got an uproar because it wasn't very it wasn't a kids movie they never <laughs> promoted it as a kids movie but warner brothers wanted I to make money <laughs> i did too um dane devito was ferocious oh he um, creeped he creeped oh, me out <laughs> oh my gosh it was it was really creepy um but tim burton was meant to continue his series uh billy d he was going to be two-faced they had a whole storyline with moving forward with the next Batman installment, but the production pulled it. Um, and again, it's all different things going on at once. People are talking and blaming each other left and right. So who really knows the actual reasons is kind of left for debate. But the point is, it's what's clear is, is that is that WB toy companies, Tim Burton, they didn't gel. Um, and then out came the horrendousness of Batman Forever and Batman and Robin, right? Right. And they put they went that direction because of toys. It really <laughs> it really had to do with the toys, um, a whole line of toys. Right now, only um, I my hunch is I really think that the fan base for Batman just kept building and growing, because in my opinion, the greatest Batman representation is actually Batman the animated series. Um, that is now on HBO Max as well. And I've been rewatching it. This was my childhood life with this show. And it's actually rich storytelling. Um, it's heartfelt. It actually shows a, a morality amidst Gotham City with Batman and different people. It's very, very rich storytelling. Anyways, but I think that that is building a fan base even more so with Batman. Um, and then you get, of course, the Christopher Nolan stuff coming out. And that just explodes. Um, so I want I wonder if as you're getting in the Justice League with all the stuff that they're kind of like, well, how can we follow that? You know, um, that was just so successful. And um, I don't think they're trying to live up to it, maybe, but they're trying to work off the fan base. The Snyder Cut was working off of that fan base, I think, was yeah. trying to uh, build off of a fan base. And, and it worked. I think it worked. So I knew that it was an extreme. It was going to be extremely long. There were talks about it being like a show. Um, you notice that yeah. there are different parts yeah, in the movie. Yeah, the episodes. Yeah, um, that's right. So I think there was talks that it would be like uh, you know in Disney Plus with WandaVision. Yeah, like, yeah. But so almost like a series like that. Anyways, didn't go that route. I think that I think it's wise that they didn't go that route uh, because when you watch the whole thing, I mean, I I have actually felt more love towards these characters because of it cyborg especially yes um cyborg i think was the biggest 
thing for me that shifted my 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 mood or tone with the movie and particularly i mean i, I mean I'm a, I'm a sucker for father something so you know um the stuff that he did with his dad and how the movie ended with his father's words um i, I don't know it, it, it meant a lot i mean that's that's the poll when it comes to um the dc world is that there's a lot of connection to fathers yes okay so just to break it down um superman two dads krypton yeah. and and his father who died um uh, uh kent um you had batman's parents of course you know um his deep relationship to his dad actually is even more important than martha um um i know they emphasize that in batman versus superman but but really the father ezra miller the flash's character his dad's in jail yeah okay um which i love the flash tv show um the father-son relationship oh yeah so crucial in that tv show that's right so clutch and and very heart-rending Go ahead, yes. continue. And I and I actually I felt that even more in this uh, Snyder Cut version because yeah. I mean I was Is that, that Billy Crudup. I don't remember. I his think name. it was. Go ahead. Yeah, but like that, just that relationship he has through the glass in in the and at the end where he tells his dad, "I got a real job, Dad." Yeah. <laughs> and like his, I just I was getting I was getting emotional <laughs> because here you know this just quick storyline. He's he's in jail because. They believe that he murdered his wife um, and and he, uh, both the flash and the dad, they know that he didn't do it, but there's all this evidence against him. So every character has something with a father, I guess, wonder. Woman and that's such probably... a pivotal moment in the DC universe as well, because actually who's all there at the murder. There's so many people that are there, right? There's um, reverse flash, reverse flash, uh, yep. Elbon, Elbon, Elbard Thrawn. Elbard Thrawn is actually the murderer, right? <laughs> oh, right. I was, I, I was, I thought you said Thrawn. I thought there was like this crossover between Star Wars <laughs> right. and that'd be That's awesome. Right. And also then Flash travels back to be there as well. So it's a very, it's a very fraught situation and in intersection of, of, of kind of the, the DC multiverse. Um, and it's, so it's very formative for Flash as well. So it's, it's, yeah, but it's this moment also that causes his father's, like ruins his father's life as well. Yeah. Go ahead, Joe. And I mean, you, you, you gotta, um, I mean, probably the coolest things was seeing Superman in the black suit um yes. that was really cool um which which is a nod to the comics of him when when superman yes. did die in the comics yep. he comes back with this black suit which actually has to do with him i think has to do with uh getting the sun's radiation a bit more efficiently i think that's right i could be wrong but um anyway so that was really a cool moment i think they cleaned up the cgi too i don't think it was as uh um i don't know the first the first go around it looked kind of goofy to me I felt like they kind of cleaned this up. Stefan Wolf looked way better yes. in this in the Snyderverse in the first yes. one. I thought. I actually love that they put Darkseid. I mean, that's a geeky moment for me to see Darkseid kind of be very ominous. And he didn't look as big as I thought maybe he would be. But um, anyway, so that was cool. And I, when they brought back the Joker, which I hated, Jared Leto as the Joker yeah. in Suicide Squad. Okay. <laughs> This was a, redeem a redeeming moment for Jared Leto for the Joker um, because it was this nightmare scene yeah. and he nightmare just Nightmare with played... a K, right? And that's where these movies yes. were leading. Uh, but go ahead. So you, you right. like that they brought back Jared Leto. So Jared Leto and, and that it was a joke. His, his, um, his, his, uh, his tattoos were removed, right? And so, mm -hmm. I mean, he's, he had to have gone through some bat. I mean, some kind of a, I mean, incredible, uh, um, 
I mean, his skin was probably just incredibly damaged throughout the, the whatever timeline this was. But I, I thought that that was a great pullback to bring him back on. And he actually played the role way better than he did before, in my opinion. But so, so I'm gonna I'm gonna make a make a backup and make a kind of a, a brief emotional father son argument as well for um, the DC universe and for Superman. Superman is, comes in for a lot of popular criticism now as being a, kind of a stupid hero because he has no weaknesses except Kryptonite, mm-hmm. which is kind of lazy for writers. Like, oh, and, here's this and brownies. invulnerable he has a weakness. Man. He has a weakness for brownies. <laughs> Lois Lane. Lois Lane. She's the so, secret weapon. So um, when, I, when Superman was my son George's favorite superhero from the time he was a toddler, and mine too, for understandable reasons, here you have this godlike man, right? Man, I want to be like him. What a man. And he's kind and he's handsome and... Uh, and uh, so I would sometimes put on the John Williams music and da, 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 da. And I would fly him around the room and he would beam and he'd stretch out his arms like he was flying. Um, are you, can you guys conjure up in your head the Hans Zimmer, the new Hans Zimmer theme? Yes. I, yes. I've been playing that a lot and it's mm. been going through my head a lot. And um, uh, this sense that um, what, if, what if a God came to earth impervious invulnerable can fly um has these divine characteristics and um henry cavill's face is just gorgeous to look at um but but uh <laughs> zach snyder also and this is this is uh joss whedon like is very toned after this he cut a lot of that stuff that a, it's really important to see his face and um the conflict flicker over his face as he has to make these impossible decisions about how to protect humanity um, how to protect the people he loves, what are his priorities, is it maybe better if he just leaves, all these things, he's, he's the cause of much damage by, by attracting General Zod and, and these other villains to Earth, like, should he have never come in the first place? Um, and then, and, and um, as, as he kind of grows into that, you see this in Man of Steel as, as, the, um, as the pebbles begin to rumble, and then suddenly you have this kind of sonic boom as he takes off. Um, this very childlike sense of awe and wonder. And um, it's, it's, your mind is open. It's almost like the C.S. Lewis till we have faces thing, like um, a belief in God through the back door, through an unexpected way. Like, man, wouldn't it be great if there was a good being who is like this, who could, who could protect us and who could save us? And it's very childlike, um, but when it's done well, and, and I've, I felt that in Man of Steel and I felt that here, um, I, I want to believe it. I want it to be true. Um, and so that's a very simplistic argument for, for, mm. for Superman and why he's still my favorite. And I still get excited. And I just turn on his theme music periodically. <laughs> um, gentlemen, yeah. we're reaching near the end of his time, uh, the end of our time. Um, Christopher, we've essentially shut you out because very quietly, the, the listener doesn't know this, but you're, you're, is it fa- fair to call you a hater? <laughs> uh, no, I, I, I just... Uh, I watched one Zack Snyder movie, uh, Batman versus Superman, and that was that was enough Zack Snyder for a lifetime. Okay, so Joe, can I give you the last word, Joe? And before oh, we end in prayer, wow, uh, the last word. Um, uh, it's funny whenever someone says that, I feel like I have to say something really epic, you know. Um, in the chat, you uh, just said I have something super profound to end with. Oh gosh! Oh wait, you didn't. I'm kidding. <laughs> um, I. Uh, I will say that I have uh, loved Batman, uh, particularly Batman, 
as a young child. Um, I, I didn't grow up in a very stable home. And uh, I gravitated towards Batman. And I don't know, I'm, I'm always trying to figure out why, but um, I'd be in my room playing with these toys and being in, like literally feeling like I'm in the Batcave, um, kind of embracing a kind of almost darkness in a way, but this um, longing for something. And I, I guess the longing was for someone who would fight uh, mm. for injustice, to, to fight for things um that were lost and forgotten and um batman always had someone uh, he was always someone that was dear to me in that regard and i felt like i could actually there was a bit of escapism to what i was doing um in, in my own kind of childhood with batman and so i i look at him with with such fondness because so much of his pain of what was lost as a child i felt was lost with my parents because i, I didn't have a um a childhood that actually had a loving husband and wife. Um, I, I didn't have that. Batman didn't have it either. And so I, I felt that kind of tug towards him that I lost something and he lost something and he became something else through it. Mm. Um, it's also why, and this is what I, I want to say to the listeners about how much I love Haber Bros. I'm just gonna, <laughs> this is my last word plug-in, but I spent a lot of time at Kirk's house mm. uh, when I lived in Pittsburgh. And um, one reason was obviously because I loved being with him um, and of course his family. Um, but I also saw the kind of father that I wanted to be. And I saw it in Kirk. I watched him, how he was with his boys, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Um, and I said, yeah, I would want to be, I'd want to be that kind of dad. Um, so I've been around a lot of healthy men in my life. And one of them was Kirk Haberman mm. and to watch him be with his boys uh, particularly as Kirk and I would actually put his boys to bed and say prayers together. That was very fond to me. And that he was willing to invite me into that. Um, so there's a sense of, of God redeeming time and, and God uh, doing something new, um, which of course is the resurrection, that mm. something new has happened. And so God is birthing something new, um, even for what's been so lost in our lives. And, and that happened for me with, with Kirk and, and his family. Um, so I, I look upon that with fondness and I think that's a good word to end with. Mm, thank you, Joe. That is, that yeah. is high, high, high praise. Shall we end in prayer? Please. Let's. The Lord be with you. And with, with your, your spirit. spirit. Let us pray. Almighty God, you gave your only son to be for us, both a sacrifice for sin and an example of godly living. Give us grace, thankfully, to receive his inestimable benefits and daily to follow the blessed steps of his most holy life. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. 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 Light in our darkness, we beseech you, O Lord, and by your great mercy, defend us from all perils and dangers of this night. For the love of your only Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. 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 The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all evermore. Amen. Amen. Joe, thank you so thank much you. for being hey, with us. Thank you, guys. It was, it was an honor. Next week? <laughs>